My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. Hello, Dr. DeGrado. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. We, um, we missed you from our group coaching program and um, the, the feedback that I got from the ladies in the group program was just overwhelming gratitude for um, the day that you came on to speak to us about pelvic floor health. And um, you really created this space for, for the woman in the group about uh, this conversation of why it's important and things that they could do to actually improve it. And for the listeners, um, Dr. DeGrado came on and she actually taught a pelvic floor workshop for my group coaching program for exercises that you could do to really support your core and your pelvic floor. Um, so she's the expert on this topic, which is why I'm so excited to have her here today. We're going to be kind of roping in the importance of pelvic floor health for digestion and, um, you know, certain conditions. We're going to talk a little bit about sexual health, but thanks again for coming on and um, really excited to learn more from you. Thank you so much. Yes. I feel like it's so wonderful to be able to even just learn that you have a pelvic floor. <laughs> and sometimes it's as basic as that. I remember when I was first starting out, I worked at Beth Israel in Brookline and I had a patient come in and she said to me, so you're telling me that there's muscles down there? And she totally Bostonian through and through. And she totally didn't believe me that inside her vagina, there was muscles. And so it's really fun to be in this field because I feel like so many of us don't get this education, which really should be basic knowledge, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, I think the only exposure that a lot of us has, have had, this can go to like a lot of different things is that in the media, we, we have this exposure and that's all we really know. So when I think of pelvic floor health and like, oh yeah, it matters. But the only thing I know about it is that you do Kegel exercises and that's, that's how you improve pelvic floor health so that you don't pee when you're, you know, laughing when you're 60 years old. Like that's all my context was for pelvic floor health. And as I started digging more into digestion and my own digestive issues and helping clients, I started hearing clients tell me like, well, I'm being referred to a pelvic floor therapist. And this was you know, eight years ago, I'm learning, okay, so tell me more. So how, let's start there. How are um, digestive, how is digestive health connected to our pelvic floor health? Well, I love this question so much. And I'm already thinking of a specific, you know, patient that I want to tell you about, of course, anonymously, but just because it was so relevant to this, but I'll start with the broader topic of how is the pelvic floor and how is pelvic health connected to, to your digestive system? In a very clinical way, many of my patients would get a test called anorectal manometry, where it would show that their pelvic floor muscles were having what's called a paradoxical contraction, basically meaning that instead of the anus and the pelvic floor muscles opening to allow a bowel movement to pass, they're closing. And so it makes it very difficult to get the bowel movement to come out. Mm. So, so to seriously oversimplify the conversation... 
if you're talking about outlet constipation versus slow transit constipation, the outlet constipation would literally be pelvic floor dysfunction, where your pelvic floor muscles are so tight and dysfunctional that they can no longer release length and expand and open to allow a healthy bowel movement to pass. Mm. So just from the most medical of terms, that was really where it all began for me. I was working with a lot of the GI doctors and colorectal doctors with the testing that they were doing, and they were looking at anorectal manometry and defecography and sending patients to pelvic floor physical therapy to retrain their pelvic floor muscles so that Mm. they could have a more effective bowel movement. But more broadly, something that you do so well with your group and obviously with your specialty, but that we do a little bit too, is lifestyle and behavior modification and really teaching people how their digestive system works and how making small adjustments in their habits and in their day can lead to huge changes in how how well they feel. And that was the person I was thinking of. I had this police officer and when they're out on details, you have to go in a porta potty, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's like no bathrooms around. Mm-hmm. And this poor guy had created such a dysfunctional situation for himself because he didn't like to have a bowel movement in public bathrooms, which many of us can probably relate to that feeling. And so he was on the verge of having to retire early from his Mm. career because it was, it had gotten to the point where he was so backed up and he was in so much pain. So we did a combination of abdominal colon massage, teaching him how to do abdominal colon massage, you know, obviously retraining the pelvic floor muscles so that they could actually relax because over time he had ignored the urge to go so much that Mm. his sampling response was dysfunctional. Like he wasn't even getting the urge anymore. So like retraining his body to recognize the sensation for the need to go, Mm -hmm. but also waking up early enough that he was having a warm beverage, eating breakfast, getting the engines going, Mm -hmm. actually giving himself some time, doing a little bit of gentle exercise to sort of elicit that morning bowel movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, I already have some questions coming into my head right now. I love it. Um, well, okay, well, ask away because I'm just sort of jabbering on. So you just tell me what you're thinking. No, this is good. So, so I personally have a bowel movement. It's pretty much same time every single day after I eat breakfast. But, um, and my boyfriend, we've talked about this too, like there's a window, right? And sometimes I'll have a second bowel movement, like depending on what I ate, if I'm eating like, you know, more beans or something like that or whatever. Um, But is there like, what would you say, is there a science to the fact of like, once you start going or like start exercising, like say you start going for a hike, is it like, are you kind of like past the point of a second bowel movement or having that bowel movement because you start exercising and things get really tight or you get stressed? Like, why, why is that the case? Does that make sense? That question? Totally. And so I'll kind of like start with the basics of our gastrocolic reflex kind of does sort of elicit a bowel movement typically in the morning. So many of us do go after we eat breakfast in the morning and theoretically that's like an ideal habit mm-hmm. because our, our bowels, as you well know, more than anyone are so habitual. And that's why going on vacation can ruin things for people. Mm-hmm. Constipation ruins a vacation, right? Like that's a quote for a reason. Yes. And so it, it is true that if you, number one, ignore the urge repetitively, your body kind of basically stops giving it to you. Essentially that sampling response stops happening. Mm-hmm. But if you can gently get your systems going in the morning with 
you know, some people do need to take a light walk in the morning before they can have their bowel movement. That instead would create improvement in the blood flow. You're getting a little bit of jet, like natural massage through your abdominal muscles activating. Your diaphragm is really activated, which is your breathing muscle, which sits right in where your large intestine and small intestine is. Mm. And so it's almost massaging that digestive system and getting it moving so that peristalsis can get the bowel movement towards the exit. Okay. So this is why I tell clients who are constipated or just irregular in general that skipping breakfast could be a missed opportunity because that's really like the start of your day. And as you mentioned, that's an important point that the best time of day is the morning to have Mm -hmm. a bowel movement because it really gets your engines going. You know, I say that in such an abstract way, but it legitimately, once the food gets into your stomach, it stimulates digestion. So it actually activates your peristalsis. So the, so it's moving through your colon. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a, a client from last week we started, she started eating breakfast, right? Was doing the intermittent fasting thing because it's trendy. And I said, start eating breakfast, started having morning bowel movements. And she also said, I'm hungry now, like throughout the day. And she's like, I'm mad because now I'm hungry and I want to eat. I'm like, you need to eat. That's your metabolism thanking you because your digestive system is happy. Totally. And it's actually activated and working properly. And the lack of hunger was the malfunction and the dysfunction. Yes. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Full circle here. And, you know, the wonderful thing that I love about you is there's never TMI. Um, Oh, so true. Yeah. Because that's a big part of the work that I do and the work that you do. And, you know, we have to talk about these things and um, normalize it and normalize it. Every single, everyone poops. My three-year-old's favorite book is called Everyone Poops. It's an (laughs) awesome book. Yeah. Because it's just so normal. We all do it and yet we don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So coming back to the point of not resisting the urge, that's a big one. And um, I am like, the second I have an urge, I'm going. I don't care if it's in a porta potty. I don't care if I have to get in the woods. Like I've never been someone to be like, I'm not going. And this is easy for me to say. I've never really like, unless I eat a lot of lactose, I've never had an issue of the opposite where you're more diarrhea type, which is obviously more serious. Um, but not, not ignoring that urge and trying to create like a comfortable routine when you're in an uncomfortable place might be helpful. So, you know, maybe turning on, like I did this the other day, right. I was at a porta potty with, or not a porta potty, a public restroom with a friend and she was in there trying to go to the bathroom and I just started playing like TikTok videos, right? Like just to like cut the silence, like there's little things that you can do um, to help like break that routine and, um, and know that everyone poops. So if your boss is wondering why you're in the bathroom for 30 minutes, like it's none of his business. So. And also I wanted to say like, and you maybe will be able to corroborate this. I think in Japan they have like fake flushing sounds. No way. Mm-hmm. You can have like that white noise essentially. So if you can have some privacy in the public restrooms. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Should, told me that. We should totally bring that here. Oh yeah. I think white noise machines are the best. So, I mean, not to get off topic, but I do keep one in my pelvic floor room because I think it does create that sense of privacy. So people feel a little bit more comfortable talking about their issues. Mm-hmm. And so I have a sound machine on at all times in my okay. room. It's very private anyway. Yeah. Is there, 
Anything else that you would add to? Oh, so many things. Do you mean okay. to the little habits and tips that you were just going to say? Yeah. Okay. I was thinking when you were talking, um, like the little habits to make you feel comfortable. Is that? Yes. The- yes. Yeah. So I was thinking when you were talking, like tipping over the wastebasket, like if you're in a hotel to mimic your squatty potty, if you don't have a travel squatty potty and getting mm. your knees above your hips just immediately relaxes your pelvic floor. So the muscle that needs to lengthen and open in order for you to have a bowel movement is called the puborectalis. And when your knees are above your hips, it's sort of naturally more relaxed. So even if you don't have the best mechanics, it's already in a better position for you to go. Genius. So I think definitely that having a warm beverage, even like bringing a warm beverage in with you, I think is super helpful. Doing the abdominal colon massage, even on the toilet, like sometimes I'll just kind of go down the left side because that's the descending colon kind of like closest to the exit. Mm-hmm. And so just doing that massage can sort of help. If you feel the urge to strain initially, pause, take a couple deep breaths, do a little bit of the abdominal colon massage on your belly, sit for a minute, see if you can actively relax your pelvic floor. And oftentimes, you know, in an ideal world, mm-hmm. then it will help to initiate it. So you don't okay. have to you know, create hemorrhoids and strain. Mm-hmm. So this is really good for, especially a lot of people I work with, they're, they're maybe coming off of caffeine to help improve their digestion or their hormone balance. And they're relying on that morning, like stimulation of the, the coffee. Um, so these are great tips for those people, you know, those people, but also just actually supporting the pelvic floor and the digestive system in a more natural way to really go for like more of a root cause and retraining it sounds like of your, your muscles. So tell me a little bit more about the straining aspect, because I think a lot of people have that initial reflex to just kind of get on the toilet and push. Right. And And we're in a rush and a lot of us don't even have the privacy. You know, it's very rare that I poop alone. My toddler is in there all the time. So it's not the most relaxing environment. Like if you're a parent, especially Mm -hmm. to young kids, But the cool thing about some of the testing is with the defecography and the anorectal manometry, oftentimes we know already when the patient comes in, if they have low sensitivity or high sensitivity, sometimes people, they have to fill the balloon. So basically they put a balloon inside and they fill it. And some people don't even feel the balloon until there's so much there. Mm. And then other people are very hypersensitive to the balloon. So even if there's a little bit there, they feel it immediately. And then they look at how you push it out. And so we kind of know ahead of time. But even if we don't, we can figure it out very quickly. So those pelvic floor muscles need to lengthen, open, and expand mm. in order to let it pass. And so when you're straining, what you're doing is you're kind of bearing down but it's like as if the tube of the toothpaste still has the cap on Mm. you're squeezing the tube but the cap's still on okay you know and so that's like your pelvic floor muscles are essentially squeezing shut and so that's when you get pencil thin stools or feel like a very incomplete bowel movement Mm. Um, and so of course that doesn't feel good I mean it feels terrible and so but you're in this pattern of straining and you don't even necessarily realize you're doing it and so what we, obviously, you, you look at the Bristol stool chart and see kind of like, where are you at on the chart? And that can help in terms of what you do with nutritional changes, lifestyle changes. But then we also want to physically look at how are you pushing? Sure. You know, once you have the urge and you're sitting on the toilet, 
are you getting purple faced and pushing like you're in labor or are you breathing and relaxing? So you want to use your intra-abdominal pressure. So you want to increase the intra-abdominal pressure. So like your belly is active, but you're also opening your pelvic floor. So it's kind of like a shh or a th or a f mm. you know, so you're still maintaining that open airway, but you are generating pressure, you know, so it's not like you're just sitting there doing nothing necessarily, but you're, you're releasing open the pelvic floor while you use your belly, almost like if you ever looked at a French press, if you, yes. you, your, the abdominal muscles are pushing it down, but the exit is open, you know, okay. and so the difference. And it's, so amazing because we can do that through manual therapy. Like we can actually tactilely press on the muscles rectally and kind mm -hmm. of help people feel what it feels like for them to be open. But we can also use an internal sensor that is called biofeedback and it shows them on the computer screen and you want it to kind of go down as they're pushing. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways that we can retrain those muscles to recognize how to bear down properly. Mm -hmm. So if someone's not there yet, so the, the big tip so far, do not strain, try to be in the most anatomical position. So using like a potty squatty, or if you don't have access to that, using like tip over a trash can, for example. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are some other things? I mean, from a dietary perspective, I'm just thinking like getting a good balance of like fiber, water, enough calories total so that you can even like bulk up that bowel movement. Um, I think a lot of people just say fiber and we forget that there's soluble and there's insoluble fiber and, you know, insoluble is more bulking to the stool. Soluble is more softening to the stool. So you have to think about what is your bowel movement look like? So as Dr. DeGrado just mentioned, go look at the Bristol stool chart. I whipped this out at the beginning of my group program. Like this is a chart. Like we are always going to be referring to this because a type one is more constipated. A type seven is, you know, more diarrhea. We're looking at inflammation typically as a, an issue in the bowel movement or in the GI tract so that you can learn a lot about this. This is a free thing you can access. You can go online, type in Bristol stool chart. And when you see like, oh, my bowel movement is tiny little pebbles. Didn't realize that there were specific recommendations that I could do, like increasing water and fiber and movement, um, you know, to help with that. So that's a great place for people to maybe start to just even evaluate you know, their bowel movements as a whole for dietary change. Um, so I had my screensaver for a while when I, when I was working at BI and I was treating just a ton of patients from the GI department, I literally just had it as the background of my computer. Cause I'm like, here it is. Let's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's front and center. That's a great place to start. And people don't, again, people don't talk about it. So we have to. Or know that the resource is there. And it's so great because you can look at it yourself. Mm -hmm. Your bowel movement gives you so much information about your general health, you know? So I think it's great to even just know that there's something that can tell you what's normal and what's not ideal or what's kind of optimal and what's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, and just covering that here just briefly, um, you know, your bowel movement should be brown. It should not be like light green. It shouldn't be really dark and black all the time. It should be light brown. It should be formed. It shouldn't stick to the toilet seat. It shouldn't, you shouldn't have to wipe a bunch of times. Um, it shouldn't be accompanied by a significant amount of gas on a regular basis. Um, there shouldn't be a lot of undigested food in your stool. These are things that have kind of become normalized. You know, I see this often where 
either my client or they're, they'll say, oh, my boyfriend has diarrhea every day and he thinks it's just totally normal. Or And thicker rather than thinner. You know, sometimes it's pencil thin stools, but they're like, oh, well, I'm going every day. But it's so dysfunctional because they're completely closing. And then they have horrible hemorrhoids that are really bothering them, but they don't realize the connection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great point. I don't think I've talked about the thin pencil stools enough um, because I do hear clients say a lot that they have those. So in terms of retraining, what does that look like and how long does that typically take for a client if they've got this dysfunction in their pelvic floor muscles? That's such a great question. And it's so variable depending on how long it's been going on, the root cause you know, the person's age, how kind of body aware they are. And I do feel like we tend to disassociate from parts of our body that are not acting the way we want them to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just can't even connect our brain with those muscles. So certainly in, in many, many cases, it's just a couple of visits and they've got it. You know, once they figure out, oh, I need to open instead of close and they can get it. It's like a light bulb goes off and then they're they're doing much better in that department. But sometimes it just takes a long time to even figure out where those muscles are and, and that they are under our conscious control. And that's the coolest part. When, when we think about it, we can actively close our pelvic floor and we can actively lengthen, relax, and open our pelvic floor. And so the pelvic floor muscles run like a hammock from our pubic bone in the front to our tailbone in the back. And so you know, sometimes you feel a little bit more connected to the front and sometimes you can really connect with the back. But when you're just to like give a tip for somebody who's trying to figure out how to connect with their pelvic floor, when you sit down on the toilet, for example, and you initiate the stream of pee, that relief that you feel when the flow starts is your pelvic floor relaxing. Unless you push to pee, which is not an ideal thing to do, that is not the same. But if you just sit and it flows, your pelvic floor relaxed to help that happen. Mm. And so another great example is if you've ever tried to pass gas silently, how you have to kind of like open a little bit to let it slip out. That's your pelvic floor muscles opening. And mine must be very strong then. (laughs) Right? So it's like, okay, if it's like, if it makes the loudest sound on the planet when it happens, like maybe your pelvic floor is actually a little tight. And so it like squeaks Mm. out loud, you know what I mean? Like overly tight. Sure. So it's so it's so great because your regular bodily functions can teach you about your own pelvic floor muscles and then you would incorporate actual exercises into your routine. It's so easy to go about your daily life and not realize how many subconscious decisions you're making with your body or that your body's making. So when we take a step back, it sounds like you know it's almost empowering when you say that, like you do have conscious control of these muscles and you can't, you can do things to retrain them, which is so cool. Yes. And I had a patient recently and he came back to one of the sessions and he said to me, Alex, I had no idea that I was literally clenching my butt cheeks all day long. And this, this person and many people that have excess tension in their pelvic floor also has TMJ or TMD where you're clenching your jaw Mm. and like you get a lot of tightness in your mouth. Sometimes people wear mouth guards at night. Mm -hmm. And so really tight masseter, which is like the chewing mouth muscles, really tight temporalis from the gripping, but also really tight pelvic floor. And they were gripping their glutes all day. And so it's just Mm -hmm. kind of checking in with your body and unclenching. And it's amazing 
even relaxing your jaw helps you relax your pelvic floor. Mm. The whole body is connected. The whole body. Yes. And in the olden, olden days, when I first started out, we used to have people carry a pager, like a beeper, and it would buzz once an hour to remind them to drop and relax their pelvic floor if they were coming for pelvic pain, like pain with intercourse, for example, if you're having painful sex. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we would do to try and help people kind of undo all that tension was become aware of it. Mm. Wow. I... I think that's a really good tool that you could even use with your smartphone, right? You could just set an alarm every, and and this isn't for the rest of your life. Obviously this is just, again, creating that awareness. A couple days to start to notice like, okay, that once an hour when I check in, what is happening? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. for, for two days, you're saying, oh my goodness, every hour that I check in, my whole body is like a fist. Sure. It's just so enlightening. Yeah. Help you make other bigger changes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about constipation or diarrhea. Like how do those impact our pelvic floor? If you, if you don't actually address those issues and you let them go on for long enough, what are the consequences of that? Well, I think it's great that we're talking about the tension aspect because certainly somebody who has Crohn's, for example, or IBSD and all, and you, you certainly are much more adept at identifying the different diagnoses that would be underlying these things. If they have years of uncontrolled diarrhea, especially in early adulthood or even childhood, of course, of course, their pelvic floor adapted to that and became excessively tight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always trauma in the traditional sense or stress. Sometimes it's out of necessity because our rectum wasn't meant to hold liquid. Mm-hmm. So yes, the pelvic floor muscles compensated for the frequency of loose stools by getting tighter and tighter and clenching all the time to try and prevent fecal incontinence and accidents. And so in that sense, those underlying issues would lead to pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes and, a lot of sense. And is there... a like a point of no return? Is it like, no, you can through pelvic floor therapy and you know, that can that help and that person can improve their quality of life? I love that question. And I really have never met somebody who was at the point of no return. Sometimes it does take a really concerted team effort because I know my limitations as a clinician. And I feel like we work best when we're working together. Our healthcare system can be a little bit siloed. And I know you and I have both sort of gone a non-traditional route in that, you know, we've really changed our model from the traditional healthcare model, partially because of that. Mm -hmm. And so I do think you need clinicians that communicate with each other. You need people who really are invested in your case to figure out the multifaceted aspect of what's going on, you know? Sure. So physical therapy is a huge piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So I would say in... So for spinal cord injury, sometimes when there's denervation of the area of the muscles, of course, then in those circumstances, the pelvic floor muscles are no longer being communicated with by the nerve endings. Mm. And so, yes, then we can't rehab those muscles in the way that we would for a fully, you know, appropriately innervated muscle. But for the majority of people that we're working with here, you can. That's great. That's great to know. Um, and then constipation. I mean, if your 
chronically constipated, would that also be something that causes you to have actually a tight pelvic floor or, and it could be this like feedback loop, right. Of like this vicious cycle, like you were constipated and then you were tight and then that, you know, or which caused the other kind of chicken or the egg type of situation. Yeah, absolutely. And the other sort of unfortunate consequence of sometimes even as kids purposefully withholding stool or, you know, holding back and not going yes. is sometimes you develop a rectocele, which is almost like a pocketing. It's, it's like a, technically it's considered a prolapse, but if the bowel movement is sitting in there, it can create this like mega colon essentially where there's, it's stretched it out. And so mm-hmm. then it's more difficult to evacuate it because it doesn't come straight out. Sometimes it gets stuck in the little pocket that's there. Yeah. And that could cause, I would imagine like inflammation in the GI tract and just bacteria overgrowth and just very uncomfortable. Yeah. And it moves up the chain, which is why I think we need to have such a positive relationship with our bladder and bowels from a young age and really kind of take as much of the shame away as we can, because I was a summer camp counselor and it's like the kids wouldn't feel comfortable having a bowel movement in in like the communal bathroom and they'd be holding their poop in for two weeks you know and it's Mm. just it's so unhealthy and you're just a kid you don't really understand you know yeah I think talking to your kids in that book that you mentioned is so good I think everyone should get that if they're a parent or soon-to-be parent definitely yeah everyone poops it's the best book and my daughter is like I pooped and she's so proud and you know and she like looks at it and it knows what it looks like and I think you know she comments it's one or two or whatever and I feel like that's great yeah. Yeah. I, I was making a video once about like, you look at your dog's poop and you you see if there's something in it or if it's runny and you think diet, exercise, like, is there something wrong? Like, do they have cancer? Is there a tumor? Like you think of these things, but you don't turn around and look at your own, you know, poop or pee. These are, this is free feedback from your body. It's free. And if you know how to, you know, assess it properly, which you can, um, it can be a very valuable tool. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you so much information. Plus you just feel better, you mm-hmm. know, you feel so much better when you're on a regular routine and things are functioning the way that it's optimal for your body. Yeah. I always say to, say to my boyfriend, I'm like, as soon as I have a bowel movement, my appetite is like, I'm ready to eat again. Like, he's like, I don't think I know what you're talking about. I'm like, it's just a feel like you don't feel as bloated anymore. It's, it's a relief. It's our body's natural way of getting rid of toxins and pressure and all that. So, um, there was one point that came up when you mentioned something that I wanted to, Oh, laxative use. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of, um, clients who have had laxative abuse and how this can really take a toll on the GI tract and create kind of this lazy bowel type of situation. Have you seen any patients oh, with this? Absolutely. And I had the saddest, it was just so sad. I'm thinking of her. It was probably, probably 10 years ago now that I, that I had this patient and I'll never forget her because it was so innocent, you know, it was just using laxatives and then got to the point where it was an astronomical amount of laxatives required to create a bowel movement. And then even that amount of laxatives was no longer eliciting a bowel movement. And it was 25 years of laxative use. And it was so, so far that her body, and I don't know if the proper term would be addicted, but it felt that way to me. Her 
body was requiring something in order for the colon to function. And it was really, mm. really challenging to work with that patient. Yes. Oh, geez. And that's a, I mean, that's a very extreme situation compared to what I typically see. Like that is so sad. So, so sad for that patient. Um, but even just like, you know, one to two servings of a laxative a day can really, it, it's not allowing your body to learn how to do what it needs to do. And quite frankly, when I have clients who are taking laxatives, they're not like, oh, I feel so much better when I take my laxative. They're like, I mean, it works. I eventually go to the bathroom, but I feel more bloated, all this stuff. And then, you know, even just switching a client from a laxative or, you know, Linzess is a really common medication. I don't know if you've been seeing a oh, lot of that. Which like the side effects, diarrhea, cramping. I mean, the side effects could go on and on. I'm just like, how is that improving your quality of life when you... So Linzess, for, it's usually prescribed for constipation for those people who don't know of it. I'm seeing a lot more patients being given this medication. And what the result that I've seen from patients who have constipation is that then their bowel movements become unpredictable and more diarrhea-like um, or no change at all. I mean, but again, these medications that you take can be more harmful and actually create worse side effects versus even like a magnesium oxide is a little bit more gentle, right? So if I'm weaning a patient off, we might move towards a magnesium oxide and then we might, you know, try some psyllium husk and then, you know, while working on diet and lifestyle stuff, obviously, but these, these medications, you know, just like anything else, any other medication, they, they can create this dependency and have a negative impact on the GI tract. And these ingredients in some of these things, they can irritate your, the lining of your gut, which we know is very important because it houses, you know, so many of our immune cells in the gut. It, it's important for it to be a nice, healthy mucosa to absorb our nutrients. So, yeah, I mean, what, what would you say in terms of that? Have you seen any like success with getting patients off of those types of things with pelvic floor therapy outside of that, like more, um, extreme situation? Yeah. And even that person benefited tremendously from pelvic floor and we were able to, you know, gradually reduce her reliance on the medication. We weren't able to get completely off in that case, but in many cases we are. And this is when I love our relationship so much because it really does take a village. And, and, you know, I think we're doing so much in terms of like we did with your group, which was so fun, exercises to improve digestion, you know, mm -hmm. so the, beasts, the open books, the windshield wipers. And so we're really massaging and stimulating the colon in such a healthy, nice way. And then we're also retraining the pelvic floor to be bearing down properly so we're kind of working, you know, from the top down, essentially, and then all of the sort of just little changes, waking up early enough that you have time to sit and relax and, you know, eat your breakfast. And I think doing those little things and recognizing the connection between that and how you feel for the rest of the day, yes. just a tremendous impact. And so a huge part of that is figuring out the medications and what's appropriate and what is potentially overprescribed or inappropriate. Mm -hmm you know, prescribed. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Great advice. Great knowledge. Um, I'd love to talk about sexual health because this is one that really haven't dove a lot into. Um, and you mentioned like painful intercourse, which is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people, um, sexual health in general, or having dysfunction or not finding pleasure in these types of activities with a partner. 
Um, so maybe you could speak to that a little bit more about kind of some of the things that you see, um, in your practice and we can maybe move into some quick tips for people to just start thinking about. Yeah. It's so similarly shame filled. And especially if you are a young person, you know, a college aged person, maybe exploring your sexuality, experiencing penetrative or insert of intercourse for the first time, and then it hurts. And the pelvic floor muscles are so tight, maybe from the sports you played, like being a gymnast or a cheerleader where you're clenching your pelvic floor to try and maintain stability. And so it's so amazing when people are able to get to pelvic floor physical therapy, because you do not have to just silently suffer through painful intimacy. And it doesn't matter if it's a penis, it doesn't matter if it's a same-sex partner, you know, sometimes just a finger being there can be really painful. It's so unfortunate because there is treatment available, but unfortunately it takes people years to even tell their doctor about it because they're so embarrassed. And then maybe their doctor doesn't even realize that this resource exists. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just number one, amazing to be, comfortable enough to explore what actually feels good to you alone without your partner. Um, there's an awesome book that I feel like should be re- recommended reading in schools. It's called Becoming Cliterate by Laurie Mintz. Um, and it's such a great, just no nonsense tutorial on your own sexuality and exploring your body and figuring out what feels good to you. Um, so that's a great start for people if they're just kind of figuring it out. But throughout the life spectrum, there's different things that impact your, not only your libido, but also how you actually feel inside. And so menopause is a huge one where your estrogen levels change dramatically and not just your estrogen, but your hormone panel in general. And so it changes the makeup of the inside of your vagina. And so even just talking about using lubricant, you know, getting a little bit more comfortable with clitoral stimulation, exploring that through self-pleasure, all that stuff can be revolutionary for a person. Hmm. But if you wanted to get way more basic than even that, getting a healthy pelvic floor helps tremendously. You know, your pelvic floor muscles are rhythmically contracting and relaxing with an orgasm. So if your pelvic floor is already short and tight and has all these knots and trigger points and is that restricted good blood flow, certainly trying to get to a climax is not going to feel good. It can hurt. Hmm. So really undoing a lot of that can make a tremendous impact. So, I mean, I know I just threw a lot at once. I mean, another really significant time of life, and I'm thinking, you know, for patients with a vagina here, um, is postpartum, especially if a person is breastfeeding. And a lot of people don't realize this, but during that time period, your estrogen levels are really low and the vagina is just really dry. Mm. And, And it's so taboo, at least to some people, to use lubricant. And it's like, are you kidding me? You, it's it doesn't matter how aroused you are hormonally your body is not going to produce that lubrication at this phase of your life mm-hmm. and so kind of just that basic education can be so helpful sure and communication too it sounds like that would be kind of the cornerstone of everything is just you know if you're with somebody who's not comfortable with that type of stuff start talking to them about it cuz you know that's your should be someone who you feel comfortable around and safe in that relationship so 
just, yeah, I mean, opening up that, that means of communication so that, you know, you feel more comfortable talking about it and maybe sharing what you're struggling with and that can help, right? During any sort of intimacy, someone wondering like, is it me? Is it because of this or that? And then you get in your head and that ruins the whole experience, right? You're not able to be with your partner. And um, so, yeah, communication, I would say, in addition to all those amazing things. I have this checklist called tips for better sex after having a baby. And that's number one on the checklist in all capital letters, because you know, and, and especially for younger people, if you're just pretending that you're having an orgasm and you're not, it's, it's like so detrimental for you, but for your partner too, you know? Yeah. What are your other tips? I'd love to hear them. I'm sure the listeners would too. Yes. So definitely number one was certainly the communication. Number two, I think if we're anticipating pain, we tend to clench up more. So conscientiously relaxing, doing diaphragmatic breathing, letting go of your pelvic floor, lengthening the muscles and releasing the tension. Clitoral stimulation is huge. Um, If I'm talking about like the postpartum stuff, 80% of people with a clitoris need significant clitoral stimulation to be pleasurable. Um, And you really need a lot. I hate this term, but you need a lot more foreplay and that it shouldn't be called foreplay because for many people it's the main event, you know, and so kind of not putting that on the back burner. And it's hard when you're postpartum and you don't have a lot of time mm-hmm. that part of it is essential you know and then certainly using a water-based glycerin-free paraben-free lubricant is great mm-hmm. and exploring yourself separate from your partner can also be really helpful but for my patients who are coming for pelvic floor dysfunction not just postpartum a lot of times we'll actually have them do their home exercise program beforehand like if they know that they may be intimate with a partner later on that day Maybe they'll do their dilators, which are like little stackable cones that you put in that help stretch the muscles. Or maybe they'll do their pelvic wand, which is like a massage tool that helps the muscles release. Very cool. So there's tools. There's tools here. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start without consulting with someone like you. I would imagine you wouldn't want to just like go on the internet and be like, what's the best tool? But having a real assessment, it sounds like is important because the treatment is going to be very different for each individual person, which makes sense, right? For anything, you know, nutrition, lifestyle, physical activity. Um, So the evaluation aspect of this really helps to determine where you go with the patient. Yeah, and what they need. I mean, certainly significant, significant weakness in the pelvic floor would also create an equally weak orgasm. But more often than not, it's Mm -hmm. tension in the pelvic floor. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I see low estrogen with a lot of patients who even are not even close to menopause, right? They're maybe they're under fueling. Maybe they've been on birth control for so many years. They have no idea they have low estrogen. Um, you know, it's a patient last week. She's super young, been on birth control forever. Mm -hmm. And I could just see it. I'm like, why does this young, young patient's vagina vulva like look menopausal? Yeah. Oh, we should talk about panel done. And it was, it was low estrogen. And so, and she's young, but it made so much sense because she's like, it feels so dry. It hurts. It doesn't feel right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good for her for like speaking up and being like, something's off. This is not instinctively right. Hopefully we have that like knowledge of, Hmm, we should look into this a little bit more, not being ashamed, just like, Oh, there, there's gotta be something going on here. Yeah. yeah. It's just another part of my body. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's really helpful to hear your kind of experiences with these different ages and populations. I know you talked a little bit about this in the um, group program about, you know, even the aging process and how those muscles atrophy and how we need to work on them, right? Even if you don't have digestive issues or sexual function, uh, dysfunction, um, you know, thinking about longevity and how no matter who you are, you're eventually going to have to care about, um, or you should care about pelvic floor health to, to get to a place where you're optimizing, uh, the way that you age. Definitely. Yeah. That summarizes it perfectly. Yeah. So any other tips that you'd leave for the listener, um, whether it's in relation to sexual function or digestive health or anything at all? I think if you resonated with any of the things that we talked about, it's great to take matters into your own hands sometimes. Cause what I've found is a lot of my patients, especially in recent years are finding us on their own. So Massachusetts is a direct access state, which is wonderful, meaning that you don't need a referral um, to come see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And there's a few reputable sites that you can put your zip code in and see kind of the pelvic health specialists in your area. One is called pelvicrehab.com. So regardless of where you are in the country, you can find a pelvic floor therapist near you who's been properly trained. Excellent. And so, I mean, that's not like a specific tip other than just to say, if you felt like you would you know, need to see somebody, there's ways that you can find them on your own, which is so great. And you do virtual one-on-one yeah. sessions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And I also have a um, postpartum recovery course. That's a self-paced course called the Healthy Pelvis Project. Amazing. Such a labor of love I did when I was postpartum. Basically oh. everything I wish I had known, but also everything I did know and was like, how does everybody else not know this and how do they recover? Oh um, my gosh. So, yeah. So people could work with me in person, virtually, or take the course. Where would they find all this information? My website is bostonpelvicpt.com. I do a lot of free content on Instagram at bostonpelvicpt. Um, my course is at thehealthypelvisproject.com. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, with these topics, like it's easy to say like everyone just like be open about it and talk about it. But like the key is, is having someone like you where it's like, the first time we met, I'm like, okay, I could talk to this girl about poop or whatever. Like it helps, it's right? A compliment. You, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is a compliment. And that's, that's great. You know, just having that rapport with someone and maybe someone listening today is like, you know, I've been looking for the right person and this person makes me feel much more comfortable. Um, you're so welcoming and you have such a warm presence to you. So that's I, I you. hope that people feel comfortable reaching out um, for help if they need it. Thank you so much. That yeah. really means a me. Of course. So tell me the most important question of the hour is what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Oh my goodness. That's such a great question. My Italian grandmother used to teach us how to make gnocchi. I don't Ooh. know if you're familiar with gnocchi. Oh and yeah. She, when we, you know, she would do the potato version until ricotta kind of became available And then she would make the ricotta version and she would have all of us around the kitchen counter and we would all roll it out together and cut it up. And even when we were so little, we were responsible like for every aspect of it. So she would have us like with the knife cutting it. I mean, it was a butter knife, but, 
And so I've really brought that with my daughter. We cook so much in the kitchen. She makes scrambled eggs in the morning. She cracks the eggs and she's three years old. And we just, it's so special. We make muffins together. I mean, and so I kind of feel like I brought that from my childhood into my own like motherhood experience with my daughter. Yeah. That is so special and so sweet. I didn't know you were going to ask me that. I love that. I don't, I don't usually tell people. Um, (laughs) Cause it just, you got to like go with what that feeling kind of oh, comes yeah. up and there's so many for some people. It's so, it's so fun to hear people's responses and just kind of like take you back. And I love my favorite ones are also the ones that seem to have kind of, you know, carried into a generation where I even had a client say this last week, she, she hired me because she wanted to take care of her own health to be a leader in her family. And um, you know, she told me a story about her son coming up and making the smoothie and putting the ingredients and saying, this is good for my energy or this or that. And it was like, I was nearly in tears just hearing that because that is the greatest gift you could possibly bring to the life of your child is, you know, those experiences and memories and, and good health and, and relationship with food. So, they're so lucky to have you and you're soon to be, we'll be so lucky to have you. Thank you so, much. Um, so thanks again for coming on Dr. DeGrado and this will not be the last time I'm sure. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you are interested in applying for my group coaching program, the next round starts in October I'm also taking one-on-one clients starting at the end of August. You can go to nutritionrewired.com where you can also find all my other resources, my cookbooks, my lab certified CBD oil, and so much more. So thanks again. And don't forget to share the health. Mm